Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from California, but I am living in beautiful Wuhan, China. Today with me is Bebe. Yes, this is Bebe from Beijing. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. What's really interesting to me that's going on, and I think this is being talked about a lot in America, actually, because Christmas, they're trying to get gifts. And some of those gifts you can't just get Mm -hmm. because uh, there's a huge backlog of ships trying to get into the port of Los Angeles. But also all the ports in the United States are jam packed Mm. trying to import goods from China and elsewhere. Hey, what? What's up with the trade war and everything? There should be less imports, right? Wouldn't that make sense? (laughs) You know, I was reading an article. This one is by the Global Times, and it was talking about the trade over last year has increased. The volume of trade between the U.S. and China increased by 28.7% year on year that to 755 billion U.S. dollars. So in spite of all the tariffs that uh, Trump Mm -hmm. attempted to use, nothing happened. Basically, actually, what happened is the exact opposite. Americans are buying more goods from China and elsewhere than before those tariffs. So it had little effect. Did the article explain why? Give some of the reasons why American imports went up. Well, one of the things, uh, not just why. Well, obviously Chinese goods are great, you know, and China makes everything like from your iPhone to, you know, the clothes that my mom has. Mm. But, you know, one thing that the article does point out is that the tariffs don't really affect the production of goods in China or the consumption by the consumer. What they are, amount to mm-hmm. is another tax on the American consumer. That's true. So Americans already already pay taxes for buying goods. Mm-hmm. Then they all also already pay taxes on their income. Then mm-hmm. they also pay taxes on their estate. They also pay taxes on their property. And this tariff is essentially another hidden tax mm-hmm. that you can't see on imported goods. Right. So basically all this amounts to is the federal government getting more money and the consumer the average American person spending more money to you know, fund the federal government. I just finished reading. I'm sorry. I'm such a book nerd, but it just reminds me of books that I've been reading. You know the book, uh, The World is Flat, right? No. I mean, it's no. been around. You ha- Wait, wait, wait. The World is Flat? You haven't heard of the book? I, I, you probably haven't read it, but it's been like one of those like super bestsellers. Sorry, you sorry. can. I can get them here for like five quai because it's like <laughs> it's like they've so so many copies that <laughs> the, well, the I generally read like secondhand. philosophy news uh, and uh, and history books. Yeah. Okay, so basically the whole book is talking about how you know the world has become so interconnected, right? And the con- the countries become really interdependent on each other. And it's you know there are chapters about the trade war. This is before the trade war. But it was talking about the effects of, let's say, tariffs. Now, because, of course, we all know that um, a lot of American workers have been demanding that a revitalization of local uh, manufacturing, right? So because they think that a lot of jobs have moved abroad because of globalization, you know, a lot of jobs seems like they have moved to China, to other uh, Asian countries where labor is cheaper, 
so that there is there are less jobs uh, there in the states. Mm-hmm. That is one um, aspect of globalization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, um, in in the book, the author pointed out that something that people haven't really pay, pay attention to is how many Americans have benefited from globalization because because of globalization and international trade um we are able to purchase a lot of these things we use in daily lives at much much lower prices right than if they were made domestically in the US but it's hard it's hard to calculate how much money you save because you have cheaper imports so people don't really you know look at that mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm, i think in the mm-hmm. book they they give a number mm-hmm. I mean, it's a huge number. So that's one benefit yeah, of globalization. Yeah. And the other is there are so many major international companies from the U.S. that have been making money mm, in China, mm, which is a huge, mm, huge, huge market. Yeah. Probably the biggest, right? One of the biggest in the world. So these those profits go back to the United yeah, States, yeah. right? Go back to those people working for those companies and probably a huge proportion of it goes back to the, the top leaders, see whatever owes. Um, of those international <laughs> companies. So there are people who lose out, right, in the process of globalization, but many, many, many others also benefited. And if you want to put up these walls of tariffs or trade walls in other ways, it's going to hurt the consumers. They'll just end up paying more uh, higher prices. Yeah. Will they help with domestic manufacturing? Probably. But just by cutting off the cutting off international trade, it's not going to make it automatically easier for you to, to build up your own industry because that will take a lot more efforts from both the government and also the you know uh, the private market. So I just want to point that out. I completely agree with you. I also agree with the fact that like. One of the things about globalization, if some other area of the world can make something faster and cheaper then what you need to do as a, as a nation or a group of people anywhere in the world is find something else that you can make mm. better than someone else right. and, and market that appropriately. So like, you know, one of the big things that China can make that is controversial in Europe is solar panels. Mm. And we've talked about this before. China is really good at making solar panels that are really high quality, really high volume for low, low, low cost. And mm. so w- the reaction of the European Union was to say, hey, you can't, we're going to put tariffs on that. And, mm-hmm. you know, how does that make any sense if you're trying to change the environment? So you can get solar mm-hmm. panels that are made more efficiently at lower cost from and, and mass volume from one, another right. country, but you're going to protect your own. Mm-hmm. You're going to say, oh, no, no, but we don't want our industry hurt. You know, what's going to happen is see? their industry can evolve mm-hmm. to some other product. Right. And also see that that's the difficult thing of making changes, Jason. Like mm-hmm. some, there will be people who lose out, yeah. right? In the process of the change, but there will be future gains and maybe to more people. And just in the book, um, The World is Flat, the author says, um, you know, you can, the number of lost jobs, they uh, pop out, right? They are everywhere in the newspaper. People are complaining that we've lost so many jobs. But he was saying, do you know how many other jobs have been created in the process? Because of the change in market structure, mm-hmm. um, because of the upgrade sometimes in the value chain, um, their new new jobs are created, yeah. but these are not recorded. Mm-hmm. Right? These mm-hmm. are not publicized as mm-hmm. much, so people don't really know about it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know, globalization means automatically loss of jobs. Other areas will be created. 
So it's, um, you know, you need to think about it in, in different ways. Well, the, the U.S. is still the number one economy in the world, and that's not slowing down. Mm. It's still growing like 2 to 3% per year on average. The U.S. economy continues mm-hmm. to grow. And right currently, right now, there's 3.9% unemployment. Anything below 4 is considered really good. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the wages are, are, are mm-hmm. actually increasing right now. And there are some problems around inflation and the Fed and all this other stuff. But the United States is not by any – it's not mm-hmm. struggling. It, it has a huge wealth disparity. But the total value of U.S. goods Mm. and assets and and, and the economy is fundamentally sound. So it's not like importing some T-shirts that are cheap at Walmart's going to really change the entire economy. Right. If you make them all domestically, I mean, the quality will be good, but prices will be so much higher. And also, I wanted to point out like things things like these that they don't make into the newspaper is um, people keep saying how. You know, the volume of imports from China to America, Mm -hmm. right? It seems like it's super high, Mm -hmm. but it's actually high the other way around, too. I mean, there is a huge gap, but still, um, a lot of the imports from the U.S. to China are not really recorded. Mm. So, you know about the service called uh, Dai Gou. No. What's Dai Gou? Basically, it means Dai is like in replacement Mm -hmm. of purchase. So, basically, they buy things for you from the US, from Europe, from Japan, wherever they are from New Zealand, um, and they ship it to you as a customer in China. Mm-hmm. So these packages, let me whisper, they go, they don't go through the customs. Ooh. So they are not recorded um, as part of uh, imports. Mm. It's, it's basically like, you know, um, your mom shipping you a package of American-made, I don't know, gummy bears or something, (laughs) and mailing you that package. It doesn't really go through the custom as import, but it's something produced in the United States. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, from China, I I can buy it. And it's so prevalent. Like, if I want to get cosmetics, for example, if I get it on these official uh, online channels, or if I go to the mall, you know, there's a pretty high tax on that. Um, so what I do is usually if I travel internationally, I buy them in the airport, right? Enough for like a year's worth. And now I don't travel as much. Then I buy them on the, you know, like on Taobao Mm. or on WeChat for people who live in the United States. I'll tell them, you know, I, um, you know, I want this skincare or I want that health products and they'll just buy it in the United States and they mail it to me and I pay them, you know? So, and I don't know if people have um, like a, a count of how much that kind of quote unquote imports yeah. have been going on, but the number is high. Well, I have a question, but to it's you. not recorded. I have a question for you. I know you sure. have a background in economics, so you understand this better. Do movies count as an export? Because Chinese people love Marvel, <laughs> for example. Hmm. Marvel. Do the do, like Marvel movies? You know, uh, super. Uh, sorry, I guess Spider Man. Oh, that game thing. All, all, yeah, like the Avengers. All, all these movies are really popular in China. Mm-hmm. Chinese people go to the theater and watch them in, in the tens yeah. of millions of viewers. Does this count as as an import from the United States? Is that get counted? Because it's not on a, a crate on a ship moving through a port. Not material, but it's part of um, uh, you know, soft power. I don't know if there's like a hmm. soft e- economy, but it's definitely money that's spent in China by the Chinese people, yeah. but made by people or companies in the U.S. And yeah. just like um, education is accounts as one of the major exports of yeah, australia yeah, yeah. and also the mm. u.s 
So, you know, if U.S. maintains its, uh, I guess, better security, right? So it makes people, foreigners feel like it's a safe place to go. Um, then more people will be willing to study in the U.S., in U.S. universities, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is a huge um, source of income for Americans. Well, I know it is because yeah. I always looked at the cost and I, because I was a resident of the state of California and I was attending various universities, I always looked at the cost next to that and it was for like non-residents and then there was the cost next to that and those are for non-nationals. Mm-hmm. You guys were playing three or four times what I was paying. It's pretty crazy. And plus, you know, yeah. whenever there's an international student um, from China or elsewhere going to the States, they need to pay for housing, right? Mm-hmm. They eat. And they spend on entertainment, everything. Yeah. So it's a huge um, income for both universities. It's like a permanent tourist, a tourist for four years. Yeah, ex- yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> At least four years. So it's a great deal, won't you say? Mm, mm, um, mm. So if, you know, both countries, uh, you know, the U.S., you know, stay friendly to foreigners or to people, uh, foreign students coming in to study, mm-hmm. Um, it's like easy money, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And a lot of money too. So um, just, I guess that's just a side note. But I do think it should count as a kind of import or export. Hmm. I don't know hmm. if it's hmm. recorded as such. Um, but- I, I mean, I, I'm not sure. Movies might be. I don't think students living in the United States as in, because it's happening inside internally. I don't mm-hmm. think it's being counted that way. And maybe it should. Maybe you're right. But tuition should. Tuition. Yeah. That's money literally from transferred from abroad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, it's just a different industry. It's the educational industry. Mm. I mean, it's one of the largest export of Australia. Mm. Right. Mm. I, I, I didn't know that until uh, one of my relatives uh, his son went to study to australia and that's like tens of thousands of dollars um for just two years yeah so yeah a great way of making money well i mean mm-hmm. even more than that if you're going to like harvard or something you're talking about half a million or something yeah that's what's stopping me from going to harvard yeah <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I think it's easier to get. Actually, I think it might be easier if you did really well. Uh, anyways, you're an A student uh, to get into their graduate programs than to their undergraduate programs. So you, you know, if you if you ever become super rich and you can afford it, then mm-hmm. there there's your opportunity to go to Harvard. I'll be like, you know, carrying a bag of cash, fifty stacks of uh, <laughs> hundred dollar bills. I'm like, finally, here's my half million. <laughs> Where's my spot? <laughs> You know, we're talking about a lot of very complicated economic stuff, but for the normal people with the side of the thing, like my mom or like whoever, the side of this story they, they see, they don't they don't really care about like how much money is going from one country to to another. What the side is they, mm. they see is they go into Walmart or wherever and they go to buy something and it's not there. And a lot of that mm-hmm. is just America's importing so many goods now to make up for what they kind of weren't importing to some extent before is that it's impossible for things to get in because the logistics are not capable of mm. providing like the, the the goods to be moved through those ports. Like mm-hmm. not it's not just ports. There are multiple bottlenecks. A lot of Americans are talking about it. So like trucking, they're not paying truckers enough. So mm. truckers are only working right. for a couple of years before they quit because the conditions within the industry mm-hmm. are not suitable for the, the, the drivers themselves. And then there's mm-hmm. wait times. And now, you know, there's 78 or 80 percent more uh, vessels coming into the port of Los Angeles. Hmm. And what they've done now, and this I really like this because I, it's one of those corporate 
semantic things. Mm -hmm. They have this thing called port optimization, mm -hmm. which is essentially if you're a ship, right, and you're, you're traveling into the port of Los Angeles, when you get about 500 miles out, you're required to slow down. Mm -hmm. So in, right now, outside of the port of Los Angeles, there are only about 15 ships actually anchored waiting to get in mm -hmm. to the, the port because all of these other ships are just drifting ever so slowly into the port in like the hundreds. Oh. There's dozens and dozens of other ships moving really slowly towards the port of Los Angeles at mm -hmm. different distances and different vectors mm -hmm. so that they are not just all sitting there in an embarrassing like bottleneck. who's who of yeah, bottlenecks outside of the port. And I think it's really silly because they're not optimizing anything. Mm. All they've done is moved the traffic from resting and sitting there mm -hmm. to moving really, really uber slow towards the port and i just think it's kind of silly to call it optimization when it's more like slowing down or something it's it's just bizarre so you're talking about port of los angeles yes oh okay yeah yeah you know um the term supply chain hmm. you know this is a term that i had never heard of or thought of a few years ago but in recent years they seem to like it seems to pop up everywhere. Mm, you know, mm, there are mm. supply chain supply chain challenges mm, everywhere mm, for like mm. different nations yeah. and for different ports. Um, because it, it I guess it's another um show of how interdependent we've become. Mm -hmm. You know, um that we still have this very, very clear distinction between nation states, right? On the surface. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on the surface, it seems like um, sometimes, you know, relations between certain countries get a little tense, but actually underneath the economic ties, um, have been come, have become so intertwined mm. that it's almost impossible to bicker, mm -hmm. like <laughs> yeah. to go beyond bickering, you know, it's like people, it's mm. like, yeah, sometimes mm. I think of it's like, um, the safety you know, the of husband interdependency. And the, the the you know the relationship between the husband and wife you can fight all you want you still have to sort out your deals because you know you're you're tied on the same boat yeah and and a lot of issues not just for the economy but also for like uh challenges we're all facing well, that you sounds know, like the, climate change the premise for a or, book <laughs> <ooh>. <laughs> fancy but that's my point it's um when you look at these uh like take any product take any products and if you have the patience to like take it apart and to decipher where each part is from mm. and where it's all assembled. I think mm. that's enough for a book itself. <laughs> you know, like take the computer, where each part is from, where it is, yeah. where they are designed and how they're prized. Right. And where, where the rare earth minerals are from. Exactly. Where the uh, raw materials are from and then where they are being advertised. Right, where well, and where, where the energy for the logistics like vehicles comes from to support those vehicles, right. and where those vehicles were made from, it, and like exactly. works on those vehicles from what countries? It's just maddening. Yeah, it's maddening, it's, and it's just yeah. making a computer or something even less than that will take hmm. um like factories or workers from literally across the globe. It's it's hmm. amazing. I think um it's really hard to say. You know, I don't want to play with you anymore <laughs> when you are um, so tied together, right? Mm. Uh, uh, underneath all.
Well, you know, this is going back a little bit, but I was thinking about logistics in and of itself or supply chains. And there's a, you know, the Belt and Road, one of the things that has been built by China and Europe to some extent is a train that runs all the way from China and it runs into Europe. And mm. I was reading recently. More I think than I, one. Yeah, mm. yeah. I was reading on either France 24 or Der Spiegel or something that like, now this is becoming one of those things that's like us, you know, the bright light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, mm. containers are having a very difficult time getting into ports, but you could just run car after car after car after car on some of these train networks and just mm -hmm. pump things in. And it takes about a month for them to get there. Mm. But like it really alleviates a lot of the congestion and other bottlenecks. This is a problem for North America because there's no train <laughs> to like the other <laughs> continents, right? Yeah. Well, it's but not like, that there are no trains and no tracks for the trains to start with <laughs> yeah yeah i'm i'm happy you mentioned the belt and road i mean it's one of those topics that i feel that i um sometimes have a hard time bringing it, it up because mm. it's gonna take me forever <laughs> you know to <laughs> to talk about it but um it is you know it, it's so part of our lives now at least here in china that it's kind of like almost always in the back of my mind mm. because it's literally as the world is changing you know, as the world, they say world order or relationships between the country mm -hmm. or how just just how history evolves. Mm -hmm. As that's all changing, uh, the Belt and Road is being built mm -hmm. at the same mm -hmm. time. It's like it's almost like China's uh, plan of um, responding to a changing world, mm -hmm. but not just passively responding. You know, it's responding at the same time it's actively engaging in this changing process. Mm -hmm. So for people who have never heard of the Belt and Road Initiative, well, you must have heard of the Silk Road, yeah. you know, from thousands of years ago. So the, the Belt and Road Initiative is like the modern version. Uh, it's China's proposal to build a Silk Road economic belt. Now, that include the train uh, route that Jason just mentioned. And there are multiple of those uh, from China to, to Europe, from China to um, to other parts of Asia. And so that's the land belt. And at the same time, there is the 21st century maritime Silk Road. Mm -hmm. And these are all built in cooperation with uh, related countries, especially uh, countries in the rest of Asia and also in uh, Central Asia and uh, other parts of Europe. Basically, if you see the map of the Belt uh, and Road Initiative, it's... Um, it's like a web. Um. It's like a web. Yeah. Everything is related. Now, as you mentioned, instead of everything going uh, on the ocean through these ports, which can become very congested, and also because China is highly dependent um, when it comes to raw materials and energy, like oil, um, other stuff from other countries. Now, back in the days, uh, all the oil that we import from, um, let's say, the Middle East, right? Mm -hmm. They go through the Malacca um, yeah, Strait. Port of Malacca, yeah. yeah. But then as the international environment gets, I mean, it's been getting more hostile for China hmm. as China has been getting stronger. Um, so, you know, the other countries could easily put stops or other make trouble um, along these port areas, hmm. right, to stop China from importing gas or other uh, materials, raw materials that hmm. we need. So basically, you know, Belt and Road is one alternative solution, right? Instead of depending so much on um, the sea route, why don't we open other routes? Mm -hmm. 
But of course, it's easy to say. I mean, it's hard to do. You need to have the first of all the will, mm-hmm. right, of starting mm-hmm. something new, of making major changes, and then you need to. Um, a lot of it's it's policy. You know, you need to work work with over a hundred other countries mm-hmm. to see if mm-hmm. they're willing to work with you, right, in constructing yeah. uh, something on such a scale. Mm-hmm. But the 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 main objective is not just for the benefit of China, but for The development of all the countries along the Belt and Road. Yeah. No, it's um, it's a win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win situation that we're <laughs> looking for here. So just a little bit on Belt and Road. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I actually read that. In, I get carried away. No, I, I, I think it was extremely informative for a lot of the people who are not as familiar with it. I think it's an amazing prospect because oftentimes, like the World Bank and other institutions, had been loaning money to other countries mm. for very specific projects, and in the process of doing so, they utilize those. Loans as a way to try to force internal change in some of those countries,、mm-hmm. and so this is a really bizarre thing to me growing up, and it was something that a lot of people were like uncomfortable with academics.、Mm-hmm. You know, China has、mm-hmm. also developed like world class, hundred billion dollar banks、mm-hmm. for loaning money for the development of these projects, which help everyone because you know liberal trade,、mm-hmm. global trade really helps you move things in and out and modern modernize,、mm-hmm. and China makes these loans. In where they're like, okay, here's sixty percent of the money that you would need for this particular piece of infrastructure,、mm-hmm. and it does it in such a way where they they don't the Chinese do not dictate that the government needs to change the, its politics in any way whatsoever. Well, it's your problem. <laughs> we we can't take care of that. <laughs> exactly, your your and so these these partners are not devoid of agency. They have their own agencies. They've made the decision to admit, take out these loans and to build the, these infrastructure projects.、Mm-hmm. And one thing. I think this really positive, actually, and I think it gets spun the wrong way. Is that China says, "Yeah,、uh, we don't want you to change your government for us. We have, you know, China has nothing to do with your internal,、mm, you know,、matters. problems or issues or whatever.、Mm. You continue to operate your internal state the way that you want to.、Mm-hmm. We just think it might be a good idea for you to have this port or for you to have this railway." That's going to enable you to be part of this larger network of、right. logistics and, and supply,、mm-hmm. and so like where, whereas like a lot of the Europeans and Americans are like, oh no, they made another loan, China, but actually China <laughs> is doing it right. We're becoming dependent on China. <laughs> right, ex- exactly. The World Bank is actually literally saying, oh no, you can't pay your loan. So in order for you to pay your loan now, what you need to do is like get rid of these politicians and restructure your government and exit. Wise Z ways and、mm. it's like what?、Uh, so that's not feasible for a lot it's, of. It's, it's not just not feasible. It's immoral and unethical、mm. for one set of states to be telling another set of states how they need to conduct their politics internally、right. based on their model that they think that this other country needs. And so, really, the UN—I mean, not the UN, but the the World Bank—is is taking advantage of these countries and forcing them along along their own ideological like、mm-hmm. lines, which is a kind of form of colonization. It's like you know ideological political colonization, right? And the reason why China doesn't want to do this is because China has been on the other end. Yeah, you know, yeah. China has been told for decades,、uh, been picked on for decades,、um, because of its own political system, because of the differences between its political system. And the political system of the West,、mm. but it's it works for us. Why do you care so much, right?、Mm. <laughs> This is what we need. Yeah. So we know how it feels to have someone、um, from you know 
condescendingly pointing mm-hmm. his finger at you to tell you that your whole thing is wrong. You gotta, you know, take our reform. We don't want that, and we don't want to force that onto other nations mm. because each problem it's specific. There are poor people everywhere. I mean, from reading the book Poor Economics, you get the idea that you um, seems like poor people are poor, like from all these poor places, but they can be poor from because of different reasons, mm-hmm. and they need different solutions. Yeah. There is no one size fits all solution when it comes to poverty alleviation, when it comes to, you know, um, energizing the economy, when it comes to industrialization. You have to study the specifics to tailor to its locality, right? To, to give them tailored situation. For example, I give one example. When it comes to Afghanistan, now we know that a lot has happened, right? Mm. And a lot has happened, but in the West, um, you read a lot about the politics. But China's solution, at least uh, one path of solution, is to cooperate um, economically first. Yeah, conduct trade. Yeah, let's trade first, right? It doesn't have to be about politics, right? Everybody, no matter where you, you live, no matter which country you live in, we all want a decent life, right? We, we, we want, all want enough material goods um, to to make sure that people start to flourish. So let's start from there. So what the Chinese government did was, I think it was uh, like second part of last year, I read on the news that um, we imported a lot of pine nuts from Afghanistan. Mm. Now, we know that Afghanistan relied on the uh, cultivation of uh, puppy, puppy seeds, right? Basically, um, Mm. opium. So why do they, the farmers, why do they keep growing these if they know that this is a form of, uh, what do you call it, drugs, Yeah. right? Yeah, Yeah, it's drugs. The reason is there's no better alternative. If there's no other way to Mm. make money, how do you expect, you can't just tell them that, okay, this is um, a form of, you know, illegal drugs. You can't grow this anymore. Then what can we do? Can you offer us another solution? So, you know, this it's just only a small thing, right? The selling, uh, the importing of pine nuts. You need it for but pesto, it offered, though. Mm, yeah, pesto. I know, it's, it's good, right? <laughs> yeah. But the significance of this one small trade is it offers the local farmers another option hmm. to tell them that you don't really have to, you know, other things can grow from your soil and you can sell them to us. Or to that this is a huge market. I think it sold out just mm, like, mm, you know, mm, mm. <laughs> in no time. And that was just the start. So instead of talking just about politics, about changing governments and things on that level, mm-hmm, why mm. don't we look at people's lives, right? What, what can you produce? This is just like poverty alleviation here in China. What in, in this, let's say, mountainous area, what can you offer to the rest of the market? And yeah. let's target that, right? Let's work on that. If you mm. need to build a road, let's build a road, right? If you need to educate the kids better, well, let's build a school. So these are concrete solutions where you can follow step by step rather than talking about, you know, these ideological issues. By the time you fix that, people will have starved to death, yeah. right? Or died in wars. So we, I just wanted an, um, and also one word, just sure, a few absolutely. more minutes. <laughs> So that's pine nuts from Afga- Afghanistan. And I uh, just recently, because live streaming, just like uh, TV, uh, what do you call that again? Like they, like this channel devoted to selling things on TV. Infomercial. T- 
infomercial. Okay, so basically the online version of infomercial. They contacted um, representatives, I think maybe even their ambassadors from a few of these, um, was it Southeastern countries or uh, countries in Central Asia? I don't remember. So they went online to sell their national products, mm-hmm. like things mm-hmm. that they were good at making. Yeah. And the funny thing was, whatever they were trying to sell sold out literally in minutes. <laughs> and the ambassadors was like, I wrote the speech for like 15 minutes long and I haven't even started. And now all my products are gone. <laughs> they were sold in minutes. Um, and just I think just yesterday I came across this video. The ambassador of uh, Pakistan in China, he wanted to uh, do the same the same thing, like um, like an online show for selling mm. some of their national products. And the comments were like, make sure you have enough in stock <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, things won't be gone in just two minutes. <laughs> you know, in terms of what you're talking about, China trying to promote stability and helping people in Afghanistan. Another thing people don't realize is that China does a lot of good elsewhere completely free with no loan. Mm. You know, the uh, headquarters of the African Union would cost 800 million US dollars to build in Addis Ababa. The headquarters of the African Union was given to Africa as a gift from Mm. China. It was just, here you go. Mm. Here's this $1 billion building that you guys need in order to have facilitate meetings for the African <laughs> Union to promote continental stability. Right. Yeah, here you go. No and problem. People, the- everybody looking and as if asking, and? <laughs> no, no, that that was it. No strings attached? Not, yeah, there were no strings attached. Sometimes China has done this. Also, they built a huge stadium mm-hmm. in, I think, it was either Laos or Cambodia in the last few years. For It's like a national stadium that has swimming pools and basketball courts. And nice. It's not just used for like, you know, one big game, but, you know, can be used by the communities around it as mm-hmm. a place to go and, you know, do athletic things. Another gift from China to another country. So you you're gonna start me on a huge uh, other areas of interest, um, <laughs> but I wanted to tell you my personal understanding about all this mm. because mm. Um, now for for a long time we know that uh, we've been doing projects in Africa, right? And a lot of them mm-hmm. not for profit. And I remember having this discussion with my coworker years earlier, and he was like, "Why are we spending all that money in Africa?" Or other, you know, poor countries around the world. Why can't we? We still have a lot of people. This is before 2020, before the um, alleviation of, you know, object poverty here in China. Mm-hmm. They're like, we still have a lot of poor people here in China. Why mm. are we spending, you know, all those money uh, abroad? What? Why? So uh, I've been reading uh, about things like that, and it's starting to come in clear. To come clear. So for for one reason. China is a huge export country, right? Export nation. Mm-hmm. And for the, all the things that we sell abroad, for example, to the United States, billions and billions of dollars, we get those back in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. And U.S. dollars, we can't really spend U.S. dollars in the Chinese market. Wow. So they've just been sitting in the bank. And then, of course, uh, instead of just sitting in the bank, we buy U.S. Treasury. Yeah. And as you know, that doesn't really pay a lot. But it, it <laughs> isn't really the most profitable investment. Hmm. And also, at the same time, especially now, 
with um, you know, more money being printed faster than you can count over there in the States, it means that the foreign reserves in dollars that China has been holding yeah. is just sitting there and devalue. I think it's $3.25 trillion right now. It's some huge number. Yeah. So instead of, it doesn't sound like a very good investment, right? To have all that money in American treasury bonds. Yeah. So why not take those money and invest abroad in yeah. other countries? Yeah. Let's say build um, railroads or infrastructure in other developing countries um, or helping other countries build ports. You can loan them the capital. And we also have the technology. Uh, we have even people, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, who live mm -hmm. abroad and work there to to supervise and all. And of course, you know, my my coworker will ask me, "Why do we want to do that? Right? You're not going to make money from, uh, you know, in countries like that." Well, yes, if you are a capitalist, you know, worrying about your profit in the next quarter, you're not going to be very happy with such kind of investments. But the Chinese government thinks in like a different time uh, span. They don't think in the next quarter or the quarter after that. They think in spans of five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. The road that you're mm -hmm, building mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in Africa today will uh, help the locals transport their goods. It will help to jumpstart their local economy. And the factory you build in some remote areas in, in Africa or uh, poor areas in uh, other parts of Asia, they're going to help to raise the living standards of local people. Yeah. So the basic idea is that you help the people in poor areas become mm -hmm. wealthier, right? Hopefully one day they're also going to become mm -hmm. at least middle class. And then they will have the ability to buy from from China, from the mm -hmm. U.S., mm -hmm. right? From the other developed, more developed countries. So it's good for everybody. It's the only difference is in um, how far-sighted or near-sighted you are as an investor. You, you mentioned something really interesting about your friend, and this may be not apply to this particular conversation with your Chinese friend, because, you know, I've had similar discussions about mm -hmm. this kind of stuff with Americans talking about American, uh, you know, investments abroad. But mm -hmm. I st one of the things I studied in, my ma in the master's degree that I took was post-colonialism. And so there was a period of mm -hmm. time for hundreds of years where mostly Western European countries in America went around the world, like, subduing everyone sometimes by brute force mm. and and things that would surprise a lot of people mm -hmm. actually really a lot worse than people imagine right and but after around in the 1950s and the 1960s all these countries started becoming independent especially african countries and some central american countries mm -hmm. they started gaining their independence from their european former lords overlords basically their colonial masters mm -hmm. and they they looked around the world and they china and africa basically got together and had a, a few conferences where they were like you know we don't want this to happen again nope. and we're going to we're going to create an alliance you know where we can help each other economically mm. now china got there first in a lot of ways and so mm. now you know this doesn't go to what your friend is saying but this does go to the the feelings emotions you know the right of all of these right. people who have a history of being 
you know, taken advantage of by Western Europe. You look at the wealth of London and Paris and you know where that wealth comes from? Mm. That wealth came from other people. India used to be one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Mm. And now, now England is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Where did that wealth come from? India, amongst other places. Mm -hmm. And so China exporting its technology and making these low interest loans around the world and helping develop infrastructure is so that they don't have to take money from Europeans who they honestly, in a lot of cases, don't trust for very, very good reasons, historical reasons. Right. <laughs> I'm very <laughs> thankful that, you know, you're able to think this way, because when it comes to uh, you know, speaking about development uh, mm -hmm. of China or the rise of China or this and, you know, this and that. I think a lot of um, Western minds, they don't understand the psychology behind it. Mm -hmm. They don't have the history of being colonized. Mm -hmm. They don't have the history of being uh, bullied by other countries. But this kind of mentality, this feeling of being wronged in history, it's very much alive mm -hmm. in the minds mm -hmm. of Chinese people. And that's not mentioned because it's hard to evaluate that. You can't really count that as, you know, dollars in GDP mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or the trade difference. No, this is a, a mental state, kind of a mental energy mm -hmm. um, that's hard to, um, to evaluate, to put in paper. But it is a lot of, but it has power in propelling people's actions in certain directions. For example, China is a very peaceful country and also in um, speaking to, you know, international audience, um, even on uh, official state media, um, it assures other countries that we are, we don't really have the, the gene of uh, colonialism mm, mm, or imperialism. Mm. It's just not part of our gene. And also because we've been on the other end. We know how terrible it feels. Mm. We don't want to do anything similar to other countries. Yeah. So if you look at these international cooperation projects, especially like in Belt and Road, mm -hmm. it's all about cooperation. Yeah. You know, it's finding out what you can do, what I can do, how we can work together case by case. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, you know, um, I will reap the profits of your development, but you're going to stay at your level, right? So you're going to just produce textile for us. We give you the raw material, you produce it and sell it back to us and we will package it up and sell it for higher prices. I mean, I was reading about this, um, you know, the challenges that China has been facing. And one of the main challenges is how we have our, they call it two heads abroad, which means that China is highly dependent on uh, other countries for raw materials. You probably don't realize it. A lot of Chinese people don't realize it because they've never had to worry about where their gas comes mm -hmm, from mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. where their oil comes mm -hmm. from. Well, in, in a lot of cases, they come from abroad. Mm -hmm. But what if, let's say, uh, people won't supply to you anymore mm -hmm. for political reasons or other reasons, or if for military reasons, some of your ports were cut off and they can't, you know, ship those whatever you need in, right? So that's um, something that we, it's like a weak link. And then on the other hand, um, so this is the import end. We're highly dependent on other countries. And when it comes to export, I mean, the past two years has um, more than demonstrated the fact that, you know, how fluctuations in exports could, in could impact Chinese economy, because we're also highly dependent on that. So in a way, we are two heads abroad because we're, you know, we're sensitive on two ends. Now, England also faced that same situation back then. Mm -hmm. It had the technology because of industrial revolution, but it didn't have enough raw material 
you didn't have enough people to produce the things, right? And uh, also you wanted a big market. And what did it do? The solution it turned to was colonialism, mm. right? Imperialism. Mm. Let's go colonize that. Let's go colonize other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. We will make them produce the cotton. They will produce the textile, and we will, you know, sell it, package it, and sell it. But that is not the path that China wants to take. Um, like a big no. It sounds like it's a good deal, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But it's a good deal for you. It's not a good deal for the other people. Yeah. So we've turned to find other solutions. And Belt and Road is, uh, you know, I mean, it's a huge initiative. It's, it encompasses a lot of multiple projects. But the idea is that let's let's improve our lives together. Let's find solutions case by case together and create these uh, multiple win-win situations instead of one on, you know, dominating the other. You know, we were talking about like some of the logistic issues the United States is having. I think it's not too short sighted to say that it's it's not entirely just about ports. It's also about, you know, like the, the U.S. infrastructure for its supply chain for moving goods around inside internally isn't particularly robust anymore, given the evolution of, you know, the way goods are moving around the world today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we've been talking about the Belt and Road, which is like a, a global initiative or, you know, uh, one of one of the professors used to use the term world island mm. to refer to Africa, Europe, and Asia. Mm -hmm. So it's mostly on this world island to some extent. But, you know, really interestingly, because China has developed late in its infrastructure over the last few decades, mm -hmm. I wanted to maybe discuss a little bit about the amazing internal logistics infrastructure that China China has. Mm. And so, like, in addition to the fact that it has all these high-speed rail projects and completed track, mm -hmm. I think something like 30,000 miles of it or something internally, um, it also has some of the newest ports and some oh. in all of these, what are they called? Uh, Fully special automated. economic zones yeah, that's that are, yeah, it's just amazing port systems. So China has no problem sending stuff out to the, to, to other people who would like to buy mm. goods that have been produced in China mm. and also moving things internally from one area to another inside of China is extremely easy. Mm. This is one of the reasons when people start talking about, oh, we want to diversify our supply chain they can't or they have a really hard time doing that because if you go to like a country like vietnam or india no offense to anybody mm. that their infrastructure is not as developed as china's mm. china simply has the ability to move things around internally so if you're making a computer the parts some of the parts are over here some of the parts are over there mm -hmm. maybe some of them are imported also but they can put them together right. really fast mm -hmm. and then it make finish the product and move it out out of china to where where it's going right. really efficiently. You can't do that in a lot of other places in the world the way that they can well, here. Well, I mean, ever since I was little, um, we heard this phrase. It's called which means that if you want to become rich, build a road first. Like, this mm -hmm. is so part of uh, what we believe that uh, I never doubted it. But I don't know if other people, like, have you heard similar things in the U.S.? I don't know, but... To emphasize the importance of having the infrastructure in place. Mm. And I mean, with that, China's devoted for, for decades, right? Building the infrastructure. And since we started with ports, um, and your wife is from Shandong province, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you heard of this port, this fully automated port in Qingdao? I think it's called Qingdao, no. new 
a new Tianwan automatic container terminal. And I actually went there. Oh, it's like run by AI or something? Yeah. Wow. It's like the entire port. You don't see anybody at the port. Wow. Okay, so I actually went there, um, but I, I went with a group of um, journalists from Australia, and it was one of the locations they wanted to visit. It was pretty cool. It's uh, the eastern port of Qingdao, and it's at, actually Asia's first fully automated port, and it runs um, 24-7, and even in the dark. Like, there's this team from um, like the TV station, they went to visit the port at midnight. Mm. And of course, there were like no workers in sight. But everything was running smoothly. Hmm. Like the machines and the trucks, they were busy, like just moving on their own. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> in in the darkness, unloading containers, putting them where they're supposed to be. And it's it's all controlled by artificial intelligence. Hmm. Like through laser scanning and positioning, wow. the program, it's able to locate the four corners of each container. And that's how they grab them and put them onto like driverless trucks. Hmm. Um, that's why they're able to work in like complete darkness. And I, I went there during the day. So I saw a lot of like these cars, these headless cars, they were just running on, on ground. Mm -hmm. And each one, I suppose they know where they were supposed to go because, you know, there was no collision or anything. Hmm. And it turned out that they there were like tunnels underneath. Was it magnetic or what? I don't, they explained, I don't mm, understand. Mm. But like they were being guided underground. Wow. Um, and so they, they know where they're supposed to go. And, and they even know how to charge themselves. Like when they go to unload, um, these stations automatic, automatically charge each of those carts. Mm. So it was, you know, a little creepy because like no one was there, but everything <laughs> was functioning. But of course, all the workers, um, they are indoors, you know, in the, in offices. Oh, so there are some workers. Yeah, everything is run by computers. You know, it's mm. all coordinated. Mm. Um, it's just the types so of just jobs. Supervising the computers. Yeah. Or it's something. all. It's like it can symbolize um, the forces of globalization. Mm. It's not that jobs are just gone. Is that certain types of jobs yeah, are gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for, yeah. at this port, they don't need as many manual labors. Yeah. But they need a lot more young people with the ability to use the technology to run the port. And then, you know, they make sure to hire enough people to support this team of young people coming into Qingdao mm -hmm, mm -hmm, to run this mm -hmm. new port. So um, other types of jobs will be generated. Um, is that certain parts of the... Uh, jobs along the value chain might be eliminated mm -hmm, mm -hmm, because of mm -hmm. the uh, improved technology. That, that's really impressive. Maybe they could get that at the port yeah. of Los Angeles. <laughs> um, next time you go to Qingdao, you can visit the port. I think it's quite. You know, cool. I've been to Qingdao four, five or yeah. six times. It's it's when I first moved mm -hmm. to China, it was one of the, my favorite places to go. It's a very lovely town. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't see. I mean, port. who yeah, um, <laughs> would think of visiting ports right as part of their vacation? <laughs> well, it's my favorite thing to do, baby. Every time I go to a new city, I go check out the ports. Really? <laughs> no, I'm no, just, oh, just okay, joking. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm sure, you know, the, the world is full of so, so many diverse people. I'm sure that that is something that some person is actually interested yeah. in. Well, you know, it's really interesting to be talking to you about um, these, uh, it seems like big projects. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm happy that it gets, uh, you know, it makes into our conversations. Because um, there's so much to learn about the changing world. Mm. Um, and there's so much to uh, to know about other cultures, other countries. Um, and I think what we were talking about, it's quite meaningful because it's not just talking about 
uh, the changes we see on surface. It also brings out the culture, mm, right? Mm, the different mm. cultures that supports um, that support the different systems. Uh, you were saying earlier, win, 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 win. You know, what's really interesting is that term, actually, the first time I heard it was in China, talking about China's, the basis for China's international relations was this concept of win, win. So like, it's used mm. all over the world now, outside of the context of China, in other contexts, it's become a philosophy that I think has largely ex been exported mm. from China, this idea that two groups of two parties can enter into an arrangement to work with one another with the idea that mm -hmm. making sure that both parties are going to come out on top, that both parties are mm -hmm. going to be satisfied with the outcome of their engagement with one another, which is essentially, if you think about it, this this idea of win-win can be ex can be thought of in every kind of situation. Mm -hmm. You go to the grocery store, you buy an apple. Exactly. They want your money. You want mm -hmm. the apple. That's a win-win, right? And not only just between nations, mm -hmm. this philosophy really could be the basis of, right. an, of an entire life philosophy, not just exactly. about parties between nations where they're like building a, a particular infrastructure project. So, yes. So, I mean, in, in Western thought a lot of times people think of power or uh, other things as a zero-sum game mm, mm. now that's not the case here in china why would you think of it as a zero-sum game you know it's like a family can have uh, five different brothers right mm -hmm. and your brother being strong doesn't mean that you have to be weak right Right? Yeah. Maybe your brother is good at fixing cars, but you are good at numbers. Mm -hmm. You your abilities can be compatible. You don't have to be fighting for the same job. Right? I think it's a good thing if your brother is capable and strong. Yeah. And it's just like world nations. We are different. But the difference um works can can work to our benefit because we are good at different things. So we will do the things we are good at. And you can do the things you are good at, and we work together to make world make the world a better place, right? And also, there are problems that we have to tackle together. Yeah. So I don't see why we can't. It does. It's not like if I become more powerful, you have to be weak. It's you not know, like I, that. I think what you, you're saying is brilliant, and you know, like the fact that they need to not only um, a reality that people need to come to accept, but they're going to have to because right. in order for us to be able to solve the problems of the world, it's going to increasingly be become obvious that it's a necessity mm -hmm. that people do work with other nations. Right. That sometimes, sometimes their ideologies are not exactly you know a symmetry or perfectly compatible, mm -hmm. but that's fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's just like two people. Like I might not like the way that you. You eat your tuna fish sandwich, but you know we're, we have to work together on this project. So let's go. Yeah. So yeah, instead of uh, a zero sum game, we can all become stronger if we can mm. cooperate. But you need to find the ways to work together. So mm. yeah, um, I'm, I'm happy that you know we're able to to talk about this, um, and I hope that our listeners don't get bored out out of their minds <laughs> from what we're talking about. <laughs> well, I feel I feel the same. I feel the same way. It's really interesting to me. You know, I was interested. I have been interested in this topic for a long time. I'm glad that we we're able to talk about it here on the bridge mm -hmm. together. But again, we are out of time. Yeah. Um, it's been an hour already, but we will have more <laughs> hours to come in the future. So stay with us on the bridge and we'll see you next time. Bye guys. Bye, Bye Jason. Baby.